Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Jazz Session, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. This is episode 582 for the 12th of January, 2022. Israeli pianist Shai Maestro is at the helm of a dream trajectory. Fresh out of high school, he received a call from the bassist Avishai Cohen, inviting him to join his trio with drummer Mark Juliana. Four trio albums later, Shai went on to form his own groups, recording his compositions that superbly fuse virtuosity with melodic sophistication and rhythmic variety. In 2018, he recorded his first album as a leader for the storied ECM Records, and his second, Human, was released in January 2021. As an ardent admirer, it was a treat to chat to Shai about his musical adventures thus far. Here is our conversation. Shy, hi, welcome to the jazz session. Hey, nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you too. Thank you for being here and congratulations on your beautiful new album, Human. Thank you. Yeah, it came out in January, but I, I think it, it still counts as new. And since we're interviewing or I'm interviewing you after the release date, we can do a post-release check-in. Great. So how has the release been and how does it feel to have it out in the world? 
Wow. Um, so having um, having having an island in the world feels amazing. The reactions have been really some of the best. That's been the best reaction for for an album of mine, um, as far as I can remember. Um, and it's even more beautiful because I feel like that's the album that we dared to take risks the most, you know, um, and that's not something you can, I can take for granted, you know, having people check out music that, that is not, um, you know, doesn't try to be popular, I guess it could be popular, but it's, 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 not, it's never my intention. So, um, having that kind of reaction is, is really wonderful, um, and heartwarming, and it's been a little frustrating, obviously, not being able to interact with with people and playing that music uh, for, for 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 a real audience, which is you know why one of the reasons I play music is is to communicate it to to other humans. Um, but you know, been we've been patient. Um, then I have my first concert um, with the guys if if all goes well in Israel, end of uh, August. So they're coming from uh, they're coming from New York and Texas, and the drummer is here already, Ofri. So that will be the, our first uh, music making. Like, yeah, the, the, the first chance to make music together since uh, February 2020, which which will be mind blowing. You know, to be on the same stage with my my my, my second family. So. It's funny how mu music making is an emotional thing anyway, and it means something different for musicians every time they do it. Sometimes it feels like a lot of work. Other times you have those magical moments where it all just comes together and you kind of don't know what happened, but it all felt so easy. But this, after not playing for over a year together, I just, my heart wells up for you. <laughs> on your behalf when you say that you felt like for this album you took risks um what what sort of risks um well first of all the album was recorded in a day and a half which to me is like insane you know like a, the stoneskeeper my fourth uh, release was recorded in like five days in and we were in a, recorded in a studio in, in Sweden and like, you know, starting early in the morning, ending like, you know, 2 a.m. the next, like, you know, like 14, 16 hours later, sleeping in the studio, just like, you know, working, working, working. And, and the human was just like in and out, started like 10 a.m., finish at 5 or 5.30 and do a half a day the next day. Almost all, all the music you hear on the record are, are, are like, it's like first takes. So... Yeah, so like taking taking risks to to really improvise and open up sections that we that we thought should be something you know which would be one thing, and then like they ended up being something completely different, and just that just happened in the moment. Um, daring daring to take time um, and to play. I mean, the first track of the album is called "Time," and it's it's a very, it's basically one chord. It's an E major chord for five minutes <laughs> with a little bit some spices here and there but like you know i would never imagine that i would be able to start a record with like five minutes of of of, of a single chord you know and then manfred i heard the amazing producer from ecm heard it and said like that's the first track and i was like oh okay <laughs> i guess you know i guess that's 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 how that's where we're gonna go so um all all these factors combined um created what what you hear on, on on the record and and having it so well received is 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 wonderful. It's really precious.
funny if I was going to put money on anybody who could open a record with a song that is based on a single chord I'd probably put my money on you so there you go <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful opening track and it really does set the tone for the entire album so mm. well I think what's interesting I don't know so it's your first time on the jazz session so I want to focus on the album but I want to look back a little bit just so people get a kind of wide scope of your work and getting to this point recording your second album for ECM which is so deserved and and so tremendous thank you yeah no really it is um so if we look back a little bit you mentioned the Stone Skipper, and before this, your ECM debut was um, the Dream Thief. I love all your titles, by the way. Thank you. They're very evocative. And before, well, you had your debut album, your first and second album were on the Laborie record um, label. And um, I do, I happen to have a soft spot for The Road to Ithaca, which is your oh. second album. I love that mm. album. I love the album art. You're all upside down with your heads in the sand. It's beautiful. But do you hear those albums and would you agree that your music and your kind of whole sonic outlook has gotten more contemplative perhaps as time has gone on? Um, on, on, on record, yes. I yeah. mean, when we... we you, when you go to a concert of of the band of my band, it's um, it can go anywhere. It can, can be completely rock and roll, shredding, you know, <laughs> shred fest. Um, no, it's never shred fest, but uh, um, but you, could, you know, it could get pretty pretty high energy places. Um, but on on the record, um, yeah, I allowed myself to kind of look deeper inside and and show sides that are more uh, vulnerable and fragile if you will or that you know live, leaves more room for the listener um rather than you know than than feeding you with a spoon like hey, here you know let me let me shock you with like technique or a lot of notes or like great crazy odd meters or whatever so uh, it, it's it's not that right now it's more like let's find a space let's find let's find air in the music let's let's find um how to be soft-spoken but to say something meaningful i don't know like all, all, all these kind of things that I, that w with time i just started trusting my my bandmates and myself more and saying like oh you know if even if we don't try really hard um it's still valid um, I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just valid, you know. That's that's what that's who we are at this point, and and that's a great thing to sh to show the world. And so, um, the result is a little bit, yeah, more like inward looking, I assume. Um, but yeah, again, shows go go everywhere. Yeah, I like that you differentiate between the recorded album and the live show because the two contexts are different, and I think a lot of people. Well, a lot of people, a lot of jazz musicians don't always consider that when you're making a record, it's a very specific context. And in some mm -hmm. ways, you know, look, unless it's a live album, it stretches out perhaps in the same way that a live performance would. But I like right. that you you know that the live performance, it, there are so many variables versus the recorded where it's contained. Exactly. I, I was trying to find that balance. Um 
in that in in, in recording human I, I wanted to bring a live quality to it but not make it like completely live you know like a, a live, a live uh, record because like you know a live record tends to like um you tend to lose um aspects of the music or elements that were in you know like energy that was in the room um that has to do with like visuals you know seeing the music being made or or let's say if you want to stay a really really long time on something you know stay static with it um on 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 stage there's more room for that because people can see it people can see you know there's a lot of like things happening visually um and on on record like it it you could do that as well if if it's 100% honest obviously but it's like it takes more attention from the from the listener and so i i was trying to bring that that live quality to the recording not only in the playing uh, sense but also like composition wise so like the a few tracks on on human are <clears throat> what I, I don't know if I call it that way, but they're kind of like uh, crystallized improvisations, you know, like I would improvise, like uh, the song Gigi and uh, the arrangement for uh, In a Sentimental Mood are pretty much improvised and, and I, I recorded myself and transcribed it and then like did some tweaking here and there. Um, but the spirit that you hear is very much of an improvised tune, improvised a moment rather than like, Oh, a song that has A section, another A, and then a B section, and we go to C part, and you know, like which I adore. Um, but um, I was like, well, you know, on stage, um, there is room for mess. There is room for chaos. There's room for something that is not super clear. You know, that's just like feels like it's energy from from one heart to the other, or like a splash of color. Um, there is room for that, and so why not bring that? on record um in unison with a trumpet player or what with the bass player like that that's like a new concept for me so yeah the fact that you mentioned the idea that you want to foster more space in your music and there's definitely more space and much more reflectiveness on this current album on human and the previous album as well when you listen back 
to your first album, your self-titled album with your trio, or your second album, Road to Ithaca, what do you do you hear? Do you think they're note filled? Do you think there are too many notes? Is it just a snapshot of a time and a place? It is a snapshot of a time and place. I, I I hear my younger years, you know. Um, I wouldn't create music this way anymore. Um, I, I hear it. I'm like, oh, this guy needs, you know, needs to grow up a little bit. <laughs> uh, but but it's beautiful, you know. That's that's where I was at the time. Um, it's the beginning of of our of the journey with with the band. You have like all these ambitions and dreams, and you know, will to conquer the world. And um, and I could hear it in the music, and, and you know, it created beautiful music. And and also, I you know, I, I think a lot about the place of, 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 of our egos in music and and how how much it stands in the way of, of true creation, right? Like, so, you know, the more you get rid of your ego, I think the better music you can create. But then I think about Michael Jordan and LeBron James and and um, and Yanis, this this guy from, from Milwaukee now, that <laughs> the Greek freak. Um, Kobe Bryant, you know, like all, all these wonderful NBA players that were full of ego. And their will was to win and to become the best best players in the world and, and look at how much beauty that created and how how much inspiration they gave and what a gift they gave to to everyone, to young especially younger people. And so I don't I don't put it I don't look at it as a bad thing uh, necessarily, but I do think that with music like um Music is not a competitive sport. It's not. It's not about that. And and um, there is room for everyone. Um, it's an ecosystem, and I would never um, think that there's room only for me and for my band, and no room for other people. So like when we, that that's like some realizations that I've had in my more recent years that that just make more space to try less. You know, <laughs> to kind of like. Accept more, try less, and and just create something that you you know write an image song and just with one chord. Like, why not? That's what I, that's what I hear right now. That's that's the moment, the authentic moment that happened in my apartment in Brooklyn when I when I and and I sang I played this E major chord and I sang this melody. It was a very intimate moment that wasn't meant to conquer anyone. It wasn't meant to get any amount of plays on Spotify. It wasn't that's not, that wasn't the intention. It was just like a real moment that I was like, oh, okay, let me just, you know, protect it, you know, and and make sure that that the fire stays lit and and um, once that's ready, okay, let's record it and then, as we say in Hebrew slash Arabic, inshallah, like with God's will, it will be it will be all right, you know. Um, and then the first first few albums were like, let's be successful, <laughs> and so I'm yeah, I, I look at it with with compassion these days. Yeah, I was a cute kid. <laughs> well, I mean, you played ferociously for a cute kid and they were successful. And I'll play some of, I'll play some of, I mean, I think of two tracks certainly off the second album. Uh, I think it was Sleeping Giant, which is phenomenal. I mean, because it, it also has the same sort of virtuosity as a classical pianist would have. It's really, you know, beautiful and also technically impressive. I think you did strike a balance. And also... The Flying Shepherd, which I love. So I'll, I'll play some of that and and possibly yeah, some of Gal as well, because although it's a different version of you and you had different goals and um, ideas, what is consistent throughout 
all of your recordings and all of your writing is your focus on melody and the mm. gravitas, the importance that you clearly give constructing and creating a really good melody, even though I, I suspect it comes quite naturally to you. I don't think you, you say, you know, remind yourself, oh, this has to be, you know, make sure the melody is good. I think it's, I, yeah, I don't know. By this point, it feels like it's in your blood and, and that's across. So Gull's a great example of your earlier melodic writing. And the same is true in terms of, you spoke about um, the opening track of time for on the human album. And even though it's one chord, I actually didn't realize it was one chord because melodically it took me somewhere. I didn't feel like I was stuck in one place. And there were even parts of that melody, Shai, I don't know if you if you hear them, that kind of reminded me of like Morricone's Cinema Paradiso. That, really? there, yeah, there were certain intervals and things. That I, and that is a very strong melody, as we all know, um, mm. and not over one chord. So that really is testament to how strong your melody writing is. And I was actually going to ask you about your composing in general, but then I thought, no, no, it's shy. Let's just talk about melody writing. Yeah. <laughs> because you're so superb at it. Um, again, and the melody on Ima, it's so delicate, but it has a heft to it because of the intervals that you use. I don't know what those intervals are that kind of end up sounding sort of typically Middle Eastern or Israeli. Do you know what? Yeah, yeah. That's like a harmonic, major, harmonic minor, I guess. When you go from the natural seventh. Exactly. Yeah, there, that's the one. I mean, yeah, what are your thoughts on on melody? Is it something you're aware of? It's Is it something you're not? I also have to say, because I'm interested in identity in music, which also means nationality in music. And again, Abishai Cohen's also a superb melodic writer. Yeah, absolutely. So is it is it something in Israeli genes? <laughs> and Because there are other Israeli jazz musicians I could mention as well, where I'm like, amazing melodies. What do you think? Great question. Great question. Um, let me start from the end. If it's an Israeli thing, oof, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we all grew up, maybe, I don't know. We, we grew up listening to folk folkloric music in Israel that is, is very melodic composers like uh, Eric Einstein, um, Matt, Matt, Matty Caspi, uh, like a few guys that wrote really melodic stuff. But I mean, you know, like Americans grew up on Stevie Wonder, like in, and you know, the Johnny Mitchell, like we're not, we're not special, you know, Peruvian music is incredibly like Brazilian music. I mean, it's not, it's uh, folkloric music. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> most of the times it would be very melodic. Um, um, I did spend actually a lot of time in my studies, early studies of, of trying to understand how, how to create a good melody. W what does it mean creating a good melody? Like what, what makes a melody satisfying? What makes a melody feels like it's a beginning of something and what makes a melody feel like, like it's an end, you know, or a middle or like a bridge between two points. Like there's so many, um, different values that are that could be very abstract um so i spent a lot of time like analyzing music of bach of like 
Why? Why does it feel so good? Like, well, because you know, first he takes you, he shows you the tonic, and then he goes to like the flat six, which is, which is you know, pulling towards the fifth. But then you're gonna go again to the tonic, and then go to the fifth. So basically, all this journey was going from one to flat six to five. So, um, all this kind of stuff of like understanding the structure of of melody. So I I deal I dealt still still am I'm still dealing with like understanding um like basic dna's of of melodies you know like 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 i said like if you zoom out if you just see the the wide shot the 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 the, the, the big you know like if you just see the, the the far images far objects if there is there a story you know like maybe this entire thing is just like you know do re mi re do like c c d e dc like take you from here over here to the peak and then go down so that's like the, the the basic structure and then how do you get from c to d so you can do all go through all these like different twists and turns and how do you tell a story getting from c to d and then how from from d to e and then how back to d and how back to how you go back to c um so um many times um when you hear something that is very complex but you can relate to is because it has a very simple skeleton you know very simple structure so that's one thing that i that i took a lot i'm um, exploring and then like also um the different um degrees of gravity that a melody can give you and like you know bach is the the real number one master of, of it i think but how does it feel like to end on the fourth on your on on the green you know how, how does it feel to get go home but home is like you know it's like the tonic but it's on it's sitting on the fifth like it's uh like how does it feel well it's it is home but it's we're not quite there how does what does this how does a six feel you know say so where is it pulling is it pulling upwards is it pulling downwards um how does it feel to go from six to two to three to five and back to one? all these kind of things that once you start respecting those um the gravities those those little universes and you, you you could stay on them you know like that's why like time sounds like it the song time sounds like it's taking you to all these different places where it's only one chord because it starts on the major seven to the dumb and that like that the dumb is the fourth and then it goes to the third like all all this kind of stuff that, that keeps keeps you like moving like it keep like keeps different tensions um you know tensions and releases and, and so um i find that modern jazz tends to go by too quickly you know it's like there's amazing stuff going on you know but it is all played like super fast and you're like whoa you know so you don't have any time to to absorb it imagine you like you someone takes you to a picasso museum and you, it just drives a motorcycle like you just you just pass and you're like whoa i had all this depth that i just didn't have any time to you know, to, to to live with and to project myself in you know which is another thing like you don't always have to give the answers um can some, sometimes just asking the question is enough you'd be like let me propose something and then you you know you fill in the gaps like you you fill in the blanks um who who is the dream thief 
I, I was asked many times. Um, and the answer is, I don't know. It's up to you to say. You know, I, I'm just, I'm just posing a question. I'm just like, so like doing that musically is super interesting as well. Um, and so, um, yeah, that goes, that goes to harmony as well and and rhythm. And like all, each field is a different, is a different research and and and, and lifetime of of just like digging in, um, and 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 expanding. And, and making my knowledge more and more profound so I can I can actually deal with less you know because because you know there's, if you look at this thing it's really simple just a glass of water but there's so much if, if, we, if we just you know start talking about all the little details you know what I mean there's so, there's so much going on here right now here I never read it established 1898 great I was just drinking water for the past year from this class <laughs> <laughs> Hi there, I'm jumping on here quickly to tell you how you can best support the jazz session if you so wish. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generosity and enthusiasm of listeners who enjoy these conversations so much that they decide to become Patreon members over at the Jazz Sessions Patreon page. If you head to thejazzsession.com slash join, you will be able to find out information about the different tiers of membership and what sorts of perks you'll be privy to. Things like weekly bonus episodes or monthly episodes featuring interviews with jazz industry insiders that you'll receive in whole months before the general public do, online hangs and so forth. Head to thejazzsession.com slash join to find out more. In the meantime, if you're happy to rate and review this podcast, even just a star rating, which takes all of two seconds, that would be so valuable to helping other people find the podcast and also having the podcast show up on all of these search engines when people are looking for interviews with jazz artists, which is what the Jazz Session is all about. So please do rate, review and subscribe to the Jazz Session wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you in advance. I really really appreciate the support and your listening in. Now, back to the conversation.
to come back to the current album, let's chat a little bit about your teammates, your band on the album. You have Jorge Roda on bass and Afrinem Yaz on, on drums. And then you have Philip Dizak on trumpet, which is new. Yep. For, for you, uh, your other albums have been quite traditionally in the classic piano trio format. I mean, as a listener, I think it's a wonderful new texture and addition. And obviously, what was it like for you? Obviously, you tell me what was it like for you having trumpet in the mix? Yeah, it's it's um, it's not only having trumpet; it's having Philip in the mix. Is um, you know, we're talking about doing this um, concert uh, in Israel, and then we have like those Europe European runs that that are coming up. And then you know, you look at the COVID restrictions piling up, and you're like, well, if we can't get Philip, who am I gonna get? You know, and there are amazing horn players out there, but but it's not just. He, it's not just like a function in the band it's not just like a trumpet player just plays the melody like it's it's like what he brings and what Jorge brings and what Offrey brings and so you change one member of the family and the entire family you know the entire group dynamic changes and you know it's possible and I've been doing that my my entire life I've been playing sidemen with other people and I and I love like you know, like musical one night stands, which is like, oh, you know, let's uh, just play stage tonight and never play with you again. That's, that's great. <laughs> um, and it, it creates some beautiful things, but like the value of a musical family is very, very powerful and you can't really replace it. And so um, playing with Philip uh, specifically is great because, first of all, I mean, he's, he's amazing <laughs> and his sound and his time feel and his patience and his his uh, modesty like he knows how to deal with his ego on stage which is which is wonderful um all, all they're all in line with what we're been trying to do and so like the integrating a new person in a in a working band is is could be you know some could be tricky but with him it was like oh you know he fit right in, right in and um, I'm just really happy to take the back seat sometimes and just to play, you know, just to make sure that he he is um, protected. I, I, I've heard an interview of Sullivan, Sullivan Fortner, one of my favorite piano players, talking about a compliment. And he says that he, he thinks about the word protecting um, a lot is protecting the so the soloist and uh, protecting the music. And I was like, man, this is this is some beautiful stuff you know um and so um i definitely sound better when i don't try to be the band leader you know and i can take the back seat so that already does good to the music um and then like you know if we talk about trumpet specifically and like i can write unisons that that are not possible to play on the bass like like i focus my um the the register that I focused on were like playing unison playing two two people playing melodies together was you know middle C and down uh, for a long time and Jorge is like one of the most virtuosic bass players in the world and he can play anything but the, even you know the instrument has its limits like you know you can't and so um, and and we Jorge has pushed himself to the limit I mean, we'll see if we're gonna go back playing we'll see maybe we can push him a little bit further but but it's definitely like you know it's it's pretty insane what he does already um 
trumpet tune, like you know, like write those bebop lines, like the song Gigi is like, or write write something that is like insane, you know, and and then, then play unison. Although Jorge just played a version of Gigi as well. I'm telling you, Jorge is insane. I don't, I don't know what's wrong with him, uh, but uh, exploring the the relationship of wood and brass, Jorge and Philip, write a melody for both of them where I'm not playing the melody. Beautiful, awesome trumpet and and drums wow great i, I mean it was it's really frustrating because we just started exploring it and then like okay let's stay home for a year and a half but but um now that I, even now that i'm talking about it I'm, i become all excited i'm like whoa i, I want to see what happens if they play like a tenth apart what happens if philip takes the lower part and Jorge takes the upper one and i'm i'm somewhere in the middle what happens if you know and so it's a new it's a whole new thing it's not like oh it's trio plus trumpets like well no it's like four people now that's it's, it's great it's lovely to hear you talk about it because you sound so enthused and invigorated by all of the kind of options that it opens up uh, but at the same time that idea of being lucky because it's the right person for the group musically and also he has he clearly has the right temperament mm -hmm. uh, and not all trumpet players do <laughs> we should say. <laughs> I also have to ask you about your experience recording with ECM, but specifically being produced by Manfred Eicher, because I think for a lot of musicians and for people who are not musicians, but who love ECM recordings and are very familiar with that world that Manfred has created, he is very much in my eyes, he's like the Wizard of Oz, his hand is in everything. His aesthetic is kind of um, injected into all of the albums he oversees in a beautiful way. But yet he's clearly a very humble person who's sort of just interested in the work. He very rarely does interviews. You don't see him talking on ECM artists EPKs, you know, Manfred there in the studio. And anytime I get a glimpse of him, I get so excited. And your EPK for... Um, the dream thief, he 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 was in, obviously in the studio producing and I was like, what is he doing? Which dials is he turning? How much is he talking to Shai? How involved? And I'd love to know what it's what it's like for you working with him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's a, he's a legend. It's really like uh, you get a chance to spend a few days, let alone a few days in the studio, but just spending a few days with him, like having dinners with him and talking about like Charlie Hayden and Anders Schiff and how he introduced Chikoria to Gary Burton and like here and like you know but Pat Metheny's early days and Keith the Keith stories and you're like you just like I keep asking him questions like you know tell me more tell me more how was that and then um so you know just spending time with with such a legend is is a privilege but then you know being in the studio um and and the preparation process to being in the studio with him is also super interesting to talk about um it's great because um, it's great for many reasons, but um, maybe I'll, I'll just choose one f to start with. Um, he kind of, um, uh, gives you the green light to dive in deeper, like a process that already started beforehand with me and my band like you know looking inwards and like there all, all the stuff that we spoke about he's like 
go 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 even deeper not not only that i'm not the, the label director that will make you play something that would sell more records or that will get more plays on, on on spotify i'll push you the other way just create the best art that you can go as deep as you can because that's what i care about and i'm going to give you the ecm stamp so when people get the record um and it starts with five seconds of silence um which is totally against the rules of the game because the whole game these days talks about the attention span of people is five seconds and so for the first five seconds you know you got to show as much as many colors as much sex as much you know the, 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 as you, can, you need to shout as loud as you can to get people's attention because you're competing in the, the sea of information and then he just not, not only he doesn't try to do it in five seconds the five the first five seconds are, are silent and so so you know that whoever listens to it or most of the people that listen to it um, know ECM's vibe, know ECM's aesthetic, knows ECM. I don't know if they know the history, but like they they know that you know it's a it's a listening experience. It's not it's not a pop record, and I love pop. I'm totally into it. Um, and so in the studio, he would give the, all those like comments um, that sometimes were very involved and said like, Hey, you know, let's loop that section. Let's, uh, let's, uh, extract something from this song and make it the intro, blah, blah, blah. Or sometimes it would be more, um, general, but, but razor sharp. Like I remember when we went to play, um, what was the song? First song we were, I forget which, which song we recorded first, but we got into the studio and then we, we started playing and then, you know, we rehearsed it and then the song was ready. Then Manfred just like you know he presses the the, the talkback mic button and then he's like, um, guys, uh, you're not um, the song is not ready. You need to massage it a little bit more. Keep on playing. And we're like, oh wow, okay. So we keep on playing, keep on playing. And then like all of a sudden you hear like, okay, you're ready. Let's record. And then like you record. And like okay, we got to take next song. And you're like, whoa. You know he would understand. He understands that the potential of a song. He was and he had understand, understands that the music is an is a living organism. And when you will know when you will know when 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 the potential of the song is fulfilled or when it's missed, when it's like uh, just like ah, yeah, it, it's cool, you're nailing all the notes, but it doesn't have the right spirit yet. So you'll he has so much experience, then he knows how to move you in a way that if you let him, um, you know, like the, you, you, it's kind of like a dance. You know, all of a sudden you find yourself in the right posture and then and then you know the recording engineer would hit, hit record and then you have this moment that has this beautiful moment captured um that um if you're at home or if you're like in a studio situation like we were with the stonekeeper where you can do 17 takes you'd be like oh no that could be better oh i missed a note and with manfred it's really not the case it's like you better be ready. If you're gonna play like composed music. You better be better be ready. So we rehearsed a lot, and we were we did like eight concerts before, and we massaged the music on stage. So um, we came prepared. Um, but it's like a one take, two take, three takes tops kind of situation. So there is a magic to when the engineer is like, "Okay, we're rolling. Take one," and then you're like, Whew. rather than like, "Okay, let me do something," and then I can fix it later in editing. Like there's none of that, and so. Um, 
I mean, that's just a little glimpse of, of the work process with him. Um, and, and then the, the other thing I want to say is the preparation or, or the composition pro process, knowing that you're going to work with him, knowing that he values space and time and air and, 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 and music that is authentic. And so I wanted to bring some stuff that, that has more of a live quality to it, that they have more notes in it, but knowing that it's going to be under the ECM's umbrella, how do you do that? How do you, yeah, how do you make Manfred hear a melody, connect to it, and then let it pass when it's super intense? And so I started dealing a lot with the subject of camouflaging, camouflaging complexity. So what that means is like you work on something extremely complex, you become really good at it it was like a process of like a six month of working on this like 13 8 meter um until it's not difficult anymore and then you write a melody that's like very sparse and melodic on top of it you play it in the studio manfred hears the melody hears the emotion in it and then all the jazz nerds will be like oh shit this is like 13 8 in like 450 bpms well yes it is but that's not the point. Like you, you get you, you know, you transcend that stage. Um, so it's in other words, it's not trying to showcase my abilities in playing thirteen eights. It's it's rather like I'll be the best one I can be at, at it, and then forget about it and just play a melody that that is moving and breathing and 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 that is alive. And so um, that was a super interesting process that happened prior to the actual recording. So you're you're really working the system, shy. You're like. I'm going to make Manfred happy, but I'm going to make all those, those hardcore jazzers. The, the hardcore jazzers are me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a super nerd and I love, I love complex stuff. And I love like, you know, crazy mechanisms. And so I want to explore 13, eight, yeah. but, but there's another layer to it, which is the emotion layer. Yeah. Well, so. the, the best thing about that complex aspect of a lot of jazz and a lot of original jazz is when it's not done in vain, when it makes sense, because either it fits perfectly under the umbrella of the entire album or the label aesthetic, um, or when there's a, a melodic aspect to it that has an emotional effect on you, then that 13.8 or that metric modulation or whatever it is that is kind of impressive, quote unquote, uh, it has a really big impact, as you say. Yeah, if you make it equivalent to food that's really easy to see you know you go to a restaurant and the chef is like this expert in molecular cooking cooks the stuff in a nuclear oven i don't know what and it has like seven layers of like this lamb and this chocolate and this blah blah, blah. and then he comes and explains all the stuff but the food is like oh this dish this dish was made in blah 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 and it goes goes on and then you try it and you're like i don't like it what's the point what what have we done What's the point, you know? But then you go to the really amazing restaurant, you eat it, and you're like, "Wow, this is crazy!" Yeah. How did you do it? Well, lifetime of explorations, you know. So that that's kind of the thing. It just has to taste good. Yeah. Good. Good analogy. Again, great analogy. Food, art, um, all the best. The best comparisons. Your first album for ECM was actually as a sideman playing piano for Theo Blackman on his album Elegy. Was the way that Manfred related to you, was that different as sideman versus band leader? Musically, not. Musically is always, it's pretty simple. It just looks for truth. And so 
if you're discussing music with him, whether you're a sideman or a band leader, he would like, oh, what's the most authentic chord you can play that whatever, you know? Um, I think the difference is like the amount of attention that you get, like uh, like amount of discussions that are being made with you as, as the visionary of the music or as someone who's there to, to only serve. Um, so, you know, a lot of the discussions recording Elegy were directly with Theo, as they should be. Um, but but it's it's really simple. Just it's about truth. From an external perspective, you've had support from quite early on, whether it's label support or a manager or a booking agent. Um, you know, we put those people together and say, well, you've had a, a team around you helping and supporting you. But the, the fact remains that you are still the band leader and you are still at the helm of that ship and you can't just abandon, you know, that post. So in terms of you having people around you, you've worked with other producers, you've worked with other label heads, impressive, wonderful people who do great work. In working with Manfred, did you ever have a moment where you thought this is a different kind of support or a new kind of support? Do you ever feel alone, even though you're surrounded by great people who have your best interests at heart? Mm, great question. Um... Well, I actually only had the chance to record for two labels um, my, in my band leader career, which is like Laborie, as you said, and then, um, and then ECM, um, the um, Stone Skipper and uh, Untold Stories are with my managers, my previous manager's label. And so that wasn't really produced by him um, per se, but um, Jean-Michel, Jean the producer for Laborie, was was very, you know, he took, he was there. He didn't really say much. He was like, let me give you a home to kind of do whatever you want, whatever you want. And, and I was like, he would say, oh, I really like that or I don't like that. And, and Manfred is really hands-on. Um, and there are a, a handful of people that I would give that um, 
that place that uh, I would give those keys to to the ship to you know what I mean like and and Manfred Manfred is one of them um you're working with someone who has such history behind him um that you have to come to the session with with a lot of humility and say like well, he knows stuff that I don't <laughs> you know if he says a take is good or not good i might say like well you know i could do better but like you know you have him back in your mind saying like well he knows better like you know he, so he has more experience so um, i'm not saying that you you um you totally you know cancel yourself out and it's just like you know it's just him and i'm here to serve his his vision that's really not that but but there is much more respect and like he says something and, the, and i'll be like hmm let me let me digest it for a second and then you know you might end up saying like no i i don't i don't hear it this way which uh, which which is something that you can do i think later on as you create a re working relationship with it the being like oh <laughs> um um or or you you might say like you know yeah let, let, let me let me just go ahead and commit to that thing that i'm not hearing right now and let me find a way to hear it like you want you want to play the a section three times okay i'm really hearing it two times but let you want three so let me let me just live like chew it you know let me just like digest it see how it feels like okay yeah great let, let's try that and then and then the record has ends up having three a sections for example um so um that's a great experience in of itself um but also like you working with ECM, you know you are signing a contract um figuratively speaking with a with a set of aesthetics um and i i'm like um let me explore that sound that 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 that, that palette of colors that color palette within me i have much more inside you know i'm, I'm in love with cuban music and and I, i'm in love with flamenco I'm creating like electronic music and dubstep tracks like here on Logic in my computer. I'm producing pop singers and writing music for cello and piano. I'm doing, doing so many different things that are not ECM, ECM, ECM-ish, ECM. Um, but when you get a chance to, to work in ECM, you say like, okay, let me, let's say it's, it's colored blue or something. Like, let me, let me, let me explore blue for these few albums let me like really dive in and connect that there'll be there'll be another album where i'll be swinging hard you know like with with guys playing standards and uh, which i do all the time i love it but i've never put that on a record yet it hasn't happened yet but i'm um, that's why i'm i'm doing it so much you know I'm, I'm in love with with oscar peterson i'm in love with with errol garner i'm in love with art tatum and and, and herbie and and then uh, I love just playing groove, funk, you know, playing funk music, not, you know, not, not moving, just playing one chord, just like, you know, I love doing that. And that, that will have its space. But ECM, you know, you just dive into that universe for, for a second. And it's great. Uh, VJ Iyer said something really interesting in, in an interview. He said, like, when you drink coffee and has this bitter feeling, you're not want, you, don't, you don't want it to be a cake. You, you're, you're, you're drinking it because it has a certain flavor and that's okay that's okay to present a certain flavor and not try for a record to be everything 
A coffee is coffee. So. I'm very excited to hear the next ECM album and to watch and witness that journey aesthetically unfold and to hear what else it brings out in you it'll be yeah great to hear that and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show thank you it's been a real pleasure and, uh, wonderful in the moment questions are always uh, appreciated <laughs> Many, many thanks to this week's guest, Shy Maestro. You can find out about the tracks that were played during this interview by going into the show notes, either under the episode or on the Jazz Sessions website. Um, do head to thejazzsession.com slash join to find out about the Jazz Sessions Patreon page. You can follow the Jazz Session on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Tweet at me, message me. I'd love to hear from you. There is also a YouTube channel to which you can subscribe to watch video excerpts of my conversations with all of this season's guests. Thank you to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music. Thank you to all of you for listening. And I will see you next week for another conversation with jazz artists about their lives, their process, and much more. I'm Nikki Schrerer, and you've been listening to The Jazz Session the original jazz interview podcast.